So welcome along. We've got uh, Marcus Smith, the man behind Inner Fight over in Dubai. So I've been fortunate enough to see this man evolve, ooh, what, the last 10, 11 years? I think, I think the first Instagram post of yours I picked up on was when you were in Bath doing your CrossFit Strongman seminar over at CrossFit Bath. And I think you're asking for somewhere to go and have coffee. And I said, go and check out Jika Jika. That's a long long time ago. And (laughs) usually usually you get guests to introduce themselves, but I'm going to do this in a roundabout different way, if that's all right. Right, whatever. (laughs) I'm going to take you back 10, 12 years ago and two kind of things. One is a statement and one was a set of tools you used to start building upon that. So the statement was, I want to make people get better at life. And then the tool was an A4 piece of paper and a pencil. And then You have an incredible kind of memory. There. I have to jump in. <laughs> yeah, that, I did a bit of research. I went back and had a look through your Instagram post. And said, when did I see Marcus? And it was the second post. The first one was of a dodgy hotel with red pink cushions. That's it. That was it. That was in Bath. Yeah. Insane. So, yeah. So, a piece of paper, pencil. You've actually made, Paul, I've got to jump in because I'm thinking as you said that, and I'm trying to remember why I was in Bath because I did, I'm pretty sure I did CrossFit Strongman in Switzerland, in Basel. Yes, you're probably right, actually. I'm trying to think what other CrossFit, but it, it, that, that was the reason why I was there, mate. There was a, I, I can't remember. I need to think about that. I need to get it. I won't ruin, I won't ruin my thought process now, but you've really, you've, you've caught me there because I know obviously where I did all my other stuff. Anyway, that's, so thank you. <laughs> it's so A4 piece of paper, making people better at life. Mm. Yeah. What was on the piece of paper, Marcus? I think it's, we've got to give this a little bit of context. So, fuck, where should I start? (laughs) (laughs) So we've got till tomorrow, right? Um, In 2009, and this might resonate with some people and hopefully it helps. I walked into, I'd been at Adidas for about four years and I love my job. It was probably one of the most amazing jobs in the world. I'm I'm quite a passionate person and it might make some people laugh, but I was incredibly passionate about selling shoes and that's what I did. I was a shoe salesman and I sold Adidas. Before I sold Adidas, I sold all sorts. (laughs) I actually went through a phase of selling Speedo Lycra, which I'm sure will make some people laugh, some people cry, some people want to follow me, some people want to unfollow me, but still I'll move on. And I went into my boss's office and I told him that I wasn't challenged anymore. And he told me he'd have a think about things. And he asked me to do the same. And I told him, I'll think, but you need to find me an opportunity. And I went back to him a couple of months later and he said, what have you done? I said, well, I know that I'm not challenged anymore and I'm here for the opportunity that you're going to find me. And he said, I've done nothing. And I told him that was fine. Yeah. Yeah. And I told him that was fine. 
And with no real emotion, I left his office. And that prompted me to change jobs. A month later, I walked back to his office and I resigned. And quite surprisingly, he was a bit shocked. <laughs> and I was like, I told you this months and months ago, or a month ago, and then three months before that. Anyway, a long story short on it, I got a job with Nike. And I got a job, and I literally wrote my job description, and I wrote my salary, which was a lot more than I was making at the time. I'd sort of almost doubled it, which when I look back at it now, was just a complete piss take. It, it was a joke. I just, I'd written this figure that was just, and, and they said yes. And the first two weeks I was at Nike, all I could think about was this figure that I was going to get in my bank account at the end of the month. And I'd wake up every morning thinking about it. And I mean, I, I think Paul sort of knows me through, through the last 10 years and I'm not really very materialistic. And I never had any dreams of like, oh, I thought, you know, I was driving a, a Nissan Pathfinder at the time. I was like, well, I could buy a Range Rover. And then I was like, why would I buy a Range Rover? Mm. You know, like, <laughs> like, why would I do that? But I had, and I'm like, so one day I walk into the toilets after about two weeks and <laughs> it's like it was yesterday. I'm having a piss and I said to myself, you've got a year to get out of this shit situation that you've got yourself in because you're here for the wrong reason. And I finished having a piss and I went back to my desk and I got out the piece of paper and I just started to write on it. Mm. And I was like, where am I at? What do I really need? What actually makes me happy? And 10 months later, I resigned or I actually left. Nine months later, I resigned. And within 10 months, I was out and doing my own thing. And what actually I realized from that piece of paper that money didn't make me happy. Being curious, exploring myself and exploring other human beings and the capacity that we have was actually what made me happy. And because of the work I'd done, the sort of, well, all of my life really, you know, around human performance and mindset and all this stuff, but more sort of more relevantly over the last five years, I knew I could do it because I'd, I'd, I'd trained people and I'd helped people and, and we're on. And people were like, was there a big plan? I was like, no, there was a bit of paper. And yeah. that's the bit of paper story. How old were you on A4 Paper Day? A4 that's Paper, really so yeah. 2010, mate. So I'd mm. literally just probably uh, 32. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, Sean, that's a really good question. And, and, and people ask me a lot, like, oh, would you have done it earlier? And, you know, I get a lot of sort of 25, 26-year-olds on Instagram, oh, I want to jump. No, I wouldn't have yeah. done it earlier at all. That's why, that's why I asked the question, because that, that very point, I did a similar thing earlier this year and escaped the corporate world a um, mm. little bit. took 10 years older than you, so 42 now. Mm. I, I'm probably about five years late in my decision. I, that's the, the way I felt and you know kind of I've lost five years which I'm trying to gain back now <laughs> um, I don't think people can have the perspective to do a complete U-turn you know left turn in life when they're in the 20s because I don't think they've experienced enough I agree to make that yeah. decision so that was the, the reason why I was asking that question 
Yeah. And to be honest with you, mate, to, to sort of hammer that point home, you know, I'm now, what am I this year? I'm 43 this year and I'm giving a talk tomorrow. It's actually a really weird talk, but it, it's, I decided the title and, and it's, it's called How My Mind Works. And because I think over the last 18 months, <laughs> Paul's Old. laughing. <laughs> you know, I'm like, well, it's quite relevant. And it might be interesting because, you know, over the last 18 months in the job that I'm in and the people that I deal with and help, my job is mainly, if you could call it a job, is mainly about trying to figure out how people's minds work. So, and I think as a result of that, inadvertently, I've been trying to figure out how my mind really works. So tomorrow I'm standing up in, in, in front of my coaching team and trying to, and I think it's quite important to explain to the people that work with me how my mind works so they understand why I behave the way I do. But one of the pillars of the way that my mind works is systematic. And that, those systems and that systematic mindset was 100% ingrained at me through five years at Adidas. Mm-hmm. And I would never, like you hear a lot of people and, oh, I spent 15 years at that company and I, I don't want it, I, I didn't want it to end. I didn't want it to end. I, I was almost, my hand was almost forced in a way, you know, but those years, that was my, you don't learn, all that you learn in university is, is, is how to put a big hit in on the rugby field and put a big drink in, in the bar. Like that's what I learned at university, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know and, and I wouldn't change that either. But when you go to the, to the world, when you go into these corporations, you learn. And if you don't, then you're a bit of an idiot, in my opinion. So you talk about you're trying to tell people how your mind works. Now, mm. you've obviously built, you've, got, you've gone from training people in someone else's gym or on the mm. beach to building Innofight One, shall we say, mm. to your now your new purpose-built Innofight headquarters. You've obviously got to get people into the gym. Mm. So understanding how their mind works, how have you gone about that and perhaps trying to get them, those people that are on the fence, oh, this is quite an intimidating place. I mean, if anybody sees you, you've always got your top off. There's not a shred of fat on you. And you're quite an intimidating character. You're what, 6'1", 6'2"? 6'2", yeah. 90 kilograms of just lean muscle mass and ability. So for that person that is happier wearing a T-shirt, and has never stepped into a gym, how, how do you facilitate that? It's actually point one of the talk tomorrow, which is curiosity. I'm curious. Yeah. I'm completely curious. And, and that's, how, that's how this whole thing ties in for me, Paul, around potential and human potential and, and, and exploring that. Actually, everyone has an, un, I believe that everyone has an underlying amount of curiosity because we see things and we then ask ourselves, I wonder what that would be like. Sure. And therefore, I think with a lot of people, you, a lot of people will see things and ask themselves, what would that be like? But their immediate reaction is negative. I can't do it. I won't do it. It's too hard. It's not me. I don't have the right genetics and a whole load of other horse shit. Whereas 
when I speak to people, I'll try and give them questions or give them answers to ignite that curiosity to bring, because they have it. We're curious as humans. Like you've seen it from, from the time that you're young. Don't touch the fire. You'll touch the fucking fire. It hurts. You, know I mean? you don't touch it again. <laughs> you don't touch it again. But you know, you walk into a room, mate, and there's something on the table. You're going to go over to the table and have a look until you're comfortable with it. Like today, I didn't come home and look at the table decoration because I've seen it a hundred times. But the first day that Holly put it down there, I was like, what the fuck is this thing? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and you're curious. Yeah. So you have to, as a, as not just as a coach, mate, but as one human to another, we have to try and help each other ignite curiosity and that's when we start to, and we do, we make people guess their fucking life choices, mate. And when you're 130 kilos and you can't walk up a set of stairs, I'm quite happy to make you double guess your life choices because I'm actually yeah. serving you, <laughs> yeah. you know? Definitely. Well, you, you did that with Mohammed, didn't you? He lost yes. a ton of weight, bless him. Hmm. He went from very, very big to very, very capable that was an inspirational journey to watch. How do you help that person see what you can see in them? Is it, is it a question of questions, giving them a little bit of insight and then letting them explore it? Honesty, carrot stick. I think, mate, there's not... What you want me to give you and the reality is yeah. totally different. You're, you, I know you don't want me to give, but what people have just heard from your question is what is the magic pill? And there isn't one. Yeah. I want to tell you something about, for example, Muhammad's situation. And this is quite straightforward. I figured out very quickly that he had an insane talent. However, that talent that he had was slowly killing him. He was incredibly relentless. And also with that incredibly mentally tough. And you guys are going to laugh and everyone that's listening is going to laugh, but just wait before you laugh because imagine waking up every single day feeling like shit and then going about your day to make yourself feel even more shit. This takes an insane mindset and an incredible amount of resilience. And the way that you make yourself feel even more shit is by eating three lots of Burger King a day. You've got an insane ability. It's just leading you to the wrong place. And mate, when I realized that, he was talking, 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 talking. And I realized, I was like, fuck, how did he do it? How do you wake up so often feeling like crap and still go to Burger King and still order three Whoppers and this and that and do that day after day? And I said that to him. I said, mate, I can fix you. And he looked at me. And he said, what? I said, you've got an incredible personality. You've got mental resilience. You're an amazing person, but you're addicted to the wrong thing. If I can change that addiction into working out, I'll save your life. Do you think that applies to the majority of people who are in that, what we would yeah. consider negative routine? Yes. And it's a product of the subconscious, Sean. Mm. It's a complete product of the subconscious. We keep on doing... I, I'm a victim of it. I wake up some days on my rest day and I love resting. I know the power of it. 
but I feel like fucking shit because my subconscious is telling me, get out, train, run, jump. (laughs) You know what I mean? So totally, mate. Yeah. Yeah. You feel guilty, don't you? Like today is a rest day. But yeah. by rest, you know, I've been to the kids soft play and ran around and I've worked up a sweat. Yeah. But in a way, I was like, actually, this is probably the only real bit of heart rate yeah. I'm going to get today. But exactly. it is important so- to, to rest. Yeah. yeah. A crucial thing you said there about your work with Mohammed was that you had a conversation and you listened to him and then by asking the right questions, you're able to pick out the bits that then he could apply. So almost motivational interview, you're trying to figure out what they can do and what they can't do. Is that what you do when you do your talks? You're trying to get people, because you talk to kids and corporations across the board. Is that what you're trying to do, try and plant that seed to make them question themselves? In a, in a non-messed up way, mate, yes. I'm looking for, I'm looking for keys I'm looking for solutions. It's, it's, you work in the medical industry. You know, if I come in, I'm like, uh, I've got a headache. You know, you have your, your problem solving. Okay, you know, let's go, for example, have you hit your head? No, okay, rule that one out. How, are you dehydrated? Rule that one out, blah, 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 blah. And I'm exactly the same, but I'm already, I'm a bit messed up that I'm already judging you because I, I work in physical performance as well as mental performance. I'm already looking at you so i'm taking cues from your physical appearance and i'm looking to see how your skin is are you inflamed are you are you visually overweight what's happening under your eyes i'm looking for all these different cues and then you'll start to talk and then i can ask questions in a certain way to confirm what i'm thinking so it's almost like investigation it's a little bit different when i when i get the opportunity to speak to, to sort of big audiences. And this is, this is almost, I think, one of the keys to being, not that I'm a good motivational speaker at all, I, I, I get an insane opportunity that I get to stand up and talk about shit that I've done, almost like what you guys are, are giving me today. It's actually quite easy because it's, I'm talking about me. You know? But I think to be good at motivational speaking and to be a good coach and to be a good human you need to pick up on these different signals. So I'll be talking to 500 or 1,000 people. I have to see how they react when I say something. And, mate, it's so much fun <laughs> because <laughs> you can just sort of, you know, you, you say something. I'll drop in something about fast food or I'll talk about, you know, I'll use great stories that I've been incredibly privileged to be a part of, like Muhammad's story. And you can see someone in the back corner of the room start to grimace, you know, and they're like, fuck, he's looking straight at me. And I am, (laughs) you know, and it's almost like, and that's, I think that's actually the key, mate. Like this is a beautiful conversation because there's three of us and, and although it's on video, it's quite intimate, but in a room when I've got 50 people to a thousand people, I want everyone to feel like I've, spoken into their eyes and into their heart you know so you you kind of do but you you everything is one way if you allow it to be but as i'm doing now i'm talking with my hands and my body you know and it's actually it it goes back to another story adidas in 
in the fact that when I when I got there and I was a shit kicker, I I basically they told me, oh, there's a there's a company library that no one uses, and I was like, what do you mean no one uses it? They're like, yeah, we've got all these books and no one uses it. So I was. I was like library member of the month every month. Not that that was an award, but I'd literally take all of the books home and I stole a few of them. And I'm not proud of that, but it's important to note that I, and, and the one that I, I particularly cherish was a book on body language. Is it Alan Pease? Alan Pease? You've caught me absolutely okay. off guard, mate. I'm just, I've got one and I totally agree with you. I've got, it's white with purple, draw purple, yeah, it's purple. Yeah, that's yes. Alan Pease. Right. Yeah, that's it. And and you know because that's just another. It's just another tool in our in our armory. And and you know as as we sort of should know, we have an insane amount of senses that we can use but don't often use. But they're all yeah. given to us to make us better. You know, so, and these are the different, to, to go back to, to really to your question, Paul, these are the different things and cues that, you know, we try and sort of vibe off when in every situation really, mate, you know, I, I think it's important. I think it's important, not only in a professional situation, not only when someone's coming in for help, but, you know, to develop relationships, to see, you know, the senses are, are, are incredible. And I'm just... <laughs> Um, mate, even down to smells. I can tell you how people smell. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, I can get on board with that. <laughs> I'm just, people listen to this show and they're like, oh, guys, where are we at? <laughs> if you think about We're everywhere is where we are. If you think about life outside of humans, you know, other animals on the planet, they, the majority of their communication is nonverbal. They know when somebody's about to attack, they know when somebody's frightened and scared. Uh, famous uh, chapter in Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life, which is why a lobster curls up. It's to protect itself. It's to protect mm. its... And it does that purely physically. And when, peop- when other lobsters see that, they know that that lobster is trying to protect itself. So it is important. I, I firmly believe you can tell a lot, about, a, a lot about someone by how they walk down the street. Yes. How they move. Yeah. You know, whether they're comfortable within themselves. Yeah, really it's, important. It's, it's weird though, mate. And, and it's, it's one of my big things, and I, I think Paul will know this, our, our movement from what we are to what we're not or what people want us to be through technology, through societal norms, and through all this stuff. Like, I, I eat a paleo diet and... Do I think it's for everyone? Actually, yes, I do. Do do I want to bang my drum about it? No, not really. But if you look at it, it's such a pure way of eating. And it just you just have to look back into our past and into the creatures that we grew up with and came almost into the world with. Believe what you want to believe, how we got here. And you get so many clues rather than looking for another filter to put on a fucking Snapchat face. Like, <laughs> what are we actually doing? Yeah, what's important? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Very Mark, much so. Just, sorry, Paul. No, go on, go on, Sean. You go for it. I was just going to touch on just a thought I had when you were saying about engaging with people, particularly when you're talking to, you know, hundreds, if not a thousand people. Everybody's got a different way of learning or a different way of comprehending. 
So yeah. I've always found when I'm speaking, I work in education. Um, so when I'm speaking to people, generally you've got a room of people, you say something in a certain way, some people understand it. For other people, you need to present it visually. For other people, yeah. you need to demonstrate and do it. Do you find that, and I, th I think you've answered your own question because you, know, you adapt the way that you operate, communicate and work with an individual based on what's best for them and the best way that they can comprehend and understand. Absolutely, mate. And, and I think it's, it, it's true. Yeah, we, we have sort of talked about it, but I think you've put it, I tend to waffle sometimes, so it's good that you, you bring me back into line and put the points in, in check, mate. But that, and that's the key really, isn't it? It's like, if I'm, if I'm a visual learner, please draw. Yeah. Stop fucking talking to me, mate. Start drawing. You know, if, 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 if I learn by doing, you know, and, and, but it, it, it's quite weird because I sometimes, so I still teach classes and I love it. It's almost like selling shoes. Like I wish I could still, I, selling shoes is still great fun. I don't wish I could do it. I, I wasn't going to say that. I shouldn't have said that, but whatever. Um, I, I love teaching, but I'll, I'll teach a lot of the time the way that I think works better. Whereas a lot of my coaches, they'll still, they'll get everyone up to the whiteboard. They'll have like a, a 30 or 45 second briefing about that, the workout that day. And I'll be like, morning guys, everyone good? Sweet, run. <laughs> Do you know what yeah. I mean? Because I'm like, fuck, it's 5.30 in the morning. I don't want to listen to this prick. Like, I just want to get the workout done do. Yeah. and do. But I often think to myself, I'm like, oh, no, I've just completely gone against what you said, Sean, in that I've probably got some people in my class that actually want to listen first and then do, you know, and it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. And you're not always going to hit everyone, but I think that's what the beauty is that it's all a great test, isn't it? Yeah. Do you think do you think that's a legacy of childhood, how you were how you were taught at school, into sports teams and different coaches? You know, is that a, an impact of role models you've had in the past? That's a really good question, mate. And off my head, and I, I would actually question what comes first in this scenario. Are we taught our way of learning or do we have our way of learning and we learn that way and we respond to that way if we're taught that way? I don't know. I'm, I'm not quite sure of the answer because, you know, yeah, teachers that talk too much just used to bore me. Yeah. You know, so that's why I teach the way that I teach. But I would like to try and understand sort of a little bit more in your question as well, Paul, is that, like, why do those, why do those teachers bore us like from birth when we haven't been taught, but is that a product of when we were, you know, when we were perhaps young that mum and dad did instead of spoke? I don't know. I think it can change. It can change over time. It, I think it depends on where you are, where your mindset is. I mean, I know from my point of view, mine has definitely changed at the moment my the stage in life i'm i'm very much on the do learn by doing yeah um and that applies to anything you know kind of diy in the house um, last year in september paul knows this i 
kind of just ripped the bathroom out and rebuilt the bathroom. All the plumbing, bath, floor, everything. I've never done wow. it before. Yeah. I looked at a few tutorials online, but I just thought, right, I'll learn as I go. And once yeah. I'm at this point, there's no going back, so I have to do it. Otherwise, we don't have a family bathroom. Yeah. So, but in the past, I very much wanted to read about a topic and a subject and dive into it as much as possible and learn every single thing about it before I started doing something. So I think it can change. I know, Marcus, you, you like to use the statement, just, just start, mm. just get on with it. Yeah. And I, I think sometimes we are too guilty of procrastinating. Oh, I'll research this, I'll research this, and then I'll do it. Or we wait for the perfect moment, which is never going to happen because there's no such thing as the perfect moment. And I think for a lot of people that procrastinate about should they start their exercise journey or they're looking for the perfect thing, sometimes the best thing to do is just step out the door and walk yes. and then go from there. I think there's always going to be a role for coaching, especially with more complex movements, whether that's trying to perfect your front crawl stroke, try and do a snatch or whatever. But actually, sometimes I think the best thing to do is just start and then learn as you move forwards. Mm. If you have good, good role models, then it does help. Um, you know, as kids, we always run around. We run everywhere to get to places. But as we get older, for some reason, running seems to become a thing that you avoid because you get a little bit out of breath. Yeah. And then we seem to stop doing exercise after we leave school. And then coming back to, to the role model, so your parents are very active, aren't they? Mm. Or have been. Yeah. yeah. So do, do you think that's why you've continued to be active, in part because you've always enjoyed being active with them? It's been something that you've been rewarded for? Yes. A hundred percent, mate. And, and I think the more I look at it, I don't believe in luck at all. I don't think it's a case of luck. I think that's a bullshit phrase, like good lucks, you know, whatever. However, I think when it comes to my upbringing, I guess, and this is almost a cheat to say I'm incredibly fortunate because I was brought up in that environment. And you are a product of your environment, you know, and, and, and they've done tests in this. Like I remember fuck, maybe 10 years ago reading of, of, of this study that two patients both had flu and they put them in two different hospital rooms. One played him like comedy the whole time. And the second played him like some bullshit on TV that was just depressing. And the guy that played comedy walked out of the room two days later, absolutely fine. And the guy watching depressing stuff was sat in there for a week. And it was almost like a, I don't know how clinical it was and I don't have the study. So please don't ask for it, but it kind of makes sense. <laughs> you know, <laughs> It's sort of like, you know, yeah. and this is what we tried to create in the gym. You know, you walk into the building and you have to feel the energy. And as I've got older, and this is, this is only since I've got older, I've been massive on the energy of a, of a, of a room and what creates the energy. And it's in our coach's handbook, you know, different ways that you can, as the coach coaching a class, you can influence the energy in a room, you know? So mate, yeah, it, it, it's total. And then that becomes a subconscious behavior. 
So I'd watch my parents. My mum used to teach Shane Fonda. Dad was riding his bike all the time, running, you know, all of this stuff. I would watch them do it. That would be what, you know, playing into the podcast normalized for me. It would be completely mm. normal. I don't, I don't love the word normal. Sorry, guys. No. I, I like no, the no. Word, name of the podcast, normalized activity, but I don't, I'm not a massive fan of what's normal because I don't think but I, I, I like what you guys have done with the title. And this is not to cover up what I've just said, because <laughs> we're trying to make activity more normal, which actually makes sense. And I'm a massive advocate of, that's why I'm here talking. Um, but, you know, I, I, I'm like, it was just that they programmed me. They pro, you, you have this opportunity as a parent and as a human, actually, when one human, a new human comes into our environment, I have this window of opportunity where they're like, a sponge and I get to program them. And when we're young, our parents, and, and you guys both know this very well because you are parents, but you program your children's subconscious. Yeah. And that just continues to grow. And you mentioned it there as well, Paul, like, you know, when I was in school, because I was good at sport, I got rewarded for it and I got privileges for it. And that, that motivated me more. They weren't great privileges and they weren't bullshit certificates, but, you know, I, I was allowed to, I was, you know, the privilege of being good at running at my, at my high school was that I was allowed to go out and run at 5am in the snow. Like that was my privilege and I loved it. <laughs> you know, it's like, whereas today you get a certificate, but anyway, we digress. <laughs> yeah. It's a good point that though, it, just on the being good at something, I was similar. I, I used to swim when I was at school competitively um, my reward for being good at swimming was three school, three mornings a week before school at 6am, I used to have to go swim training. Yeah. Smell, smell of chlorine all day. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. But it's weird it's, though, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And it's the same with me. It was rugby for me and it was right. We'll go out and do a bit of kicking. It was time with dad to go and, and, and just train. Mm. And I used to get decent rugby boots. And I can remember having my Adidas Predators when they first came out. <laughs> yeah. Very proud of those. Yeah. 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 It's, um, it is a, it, it's an interesting one. But I think the massive, like the key takeaway from this point for people is environment. And yeah. the environment that you're in programs and has the ability. I, I've touched a few times on, on, on subconscious and just because your subconscious was programmed in the way that it was programmed when you were five years old, you can change that, yeah. but you have to be willing and your environment will help you to achieve that. I also think you have to understand that you haven't, that there's a need for you to change. So for example, yes. I don't know the, the situation, the full situation with Mohammed, but for example, if he's, sedentary eating too much feeling miserable all the time is that because he isn't aware of what to do to change that correct yeah so by, yes. from a coaching point of view it's not necessarily right this is your programming for for this week it could be if you stop doing that and start yeah. doing more of this you will feel better is it the fact he didn't know that and people don't know what they need to do to break the habits and the cycle and to improve their life. I think, I think there's a couple of things there that are really interesting, Sean. I think one of them is that 
if you, if us three went, and, and, and this would be an insane social experiment, like you have to leave this, this, this podcast now, you have to go to Burger King, you have to eat Burger King or McDonald's or whatever, and, and the one for, until whoever's left, you know, we would feel like shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we, we would literally feel like shit. But when it becomes, it goes back to this word normal, which we have to use, when it becomes your norm, when it becomes your everyday life, you actually need to be almost prompted and questioned, like, does it feel good? Like, you know, and this is, this is one of the biggest things. We, we're a data-driven society now. Everything's about the data, big data, this. I, I can track this, whoop, aura, Fitbit, shit bit. I don't give a fuck bit. You know, it's just bullshit because we'd be, we're forgetting to ask how do you feel? Yeah, that's a really important question. And it's one that too many people forget to ask, how do you feel? Mm. And we get entrenched in habits. So we don't actually think about how we're feeling because it's just autopilot. We're not conscious of what we're doing. And it's, it's creating that question and getting someone to look in the mirror and then making the paradigm shift to say, actually, I feel like shit doing this all the time. My joints ache. I'm out of breath. I can't run with my child going down. Yeah. I need to change something here. Mm. But it also means you've got to be honest with yourself. Yes. Which and that can be a big challenge. Yeah. And the, the idea that's the thing as well, mate, is, is that, you know, a lot of the people, if we go back to that environment, there could be a lot of dads that you're hanging around with could also be out of shape. So, they, you totally fit in. And as humans, we want to fit in. There's only a few oddballs like us three that actually don't give a flying fuck yeah. about fitting in. And I'm more than willing to, you know, to, to, to do whatever. And that is also, by the way, that's also a learned behavior. My dad never yeah. cared what he was wearing, what he looked like, or anything. I think it's <laughs> a know? really good point. And... It was something I thought of when we were recording the last, last one, Paul, which is something that I've consciously decided to do probably over the last two to three years is stop caring what other people think. Yeah. Just, I literally don't care. I do care. Hit 40 and that was it. Maybe it is. Maybe, that's, <laughs> maybe it's a switch that, or maybe it, it's just, you tra transcend that world maybe. But I, I, I think... You know, if there are younger people that are listening and, and you, this doesn't resonate with you, I don't think that that's unusual and I don't think you should fear it. I mean, we're all the same sort of age and, and for want of sounding like three old men at the pub here, you know, I think you learn life as life goes on. If you're a 22-year-old and you don't care, you know, we do care about a lot of things, you know, but, but I think it's natural. If you look to the animals as well, the animal kingdom, when, when animals are of a certain age or there's a certain time of year, the mating season, their attention to detail of themselves and their presentation of themselves also in increases. So I, I, think it's, I think it's almost like a cycle of life that we go through where certain things become less important to us as as human beings you know I, I 
I think we've all probably, we're all on the same page that, you know, a desire to wear a, a, a Gucci shirt has never been a desire for all three of us, nope. you know, <laughs> but I, I think some of these things, like we said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, if I could have done, I wouldn't have left Adidas or Nike any earlier because I wasn't ready. I left when I was ready, you know? And, and I think that's one of the things that we shouldn't be trying to rush things as well. I do think things become less important when you yes. reach a certain, certain age, have different experiences. Having children is a massive game changer <laughs> in terms of what's important. But that's things become less important, but other things become far, far more important. Mm. Which is beautiful. Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. I and mean, certainly it's that the desire to be the longevity, the fitness, the health has become more and more important moving forwards and understanding that, yeah, you could live to your 90. But if the last 15 years of those 90 years are sat in a chair doing nothing, what's the point? You know, yeah. you've got to look for quality. Yeah. Uh, and, it, and it is an investment. You know, each day when you're questioning, do I want to do this next set of intervals because it's going to fucking hurt? Yeah. Actually, yeah, because this pays off big time mentally and physically. I don't think emotionally because you come away feeling proud of yourself for digging in, but it pays off exponentially further down the line. Yeah. I think. I, it, yeah. I, that's what I was actually going to ask you there, Paul, it, especially with the industry that, that you work in. We obviously see better, how do you say this, better people or, or at an older age who have invested in health. But do you think there comes a point of negative gains in the way that a lot of people are living and training these days? And, and what are some of the, maybe some of the markers that you'd look for or, or think about? I think, well, that's, a, that's a big question. Uh, in <laughs> terms of, I think it comes down to what you are doing and what people's perception of fitness is. Uh, and that's, part of why we wanted to start this podcast because fitness isn't just about going to the gym mm. you know for, for a 70 year old it could be i'm going to go out for a walk and make sure i go up and down the stairs 10 times a day there's you know those are the payoffs and it's modifying what you do by degrees of say endeavor and intensity but making sure that you're always being active I, I personally i think that's that's one important you know is doing 100 kilogram snaps for a 70 year old a really core you know a really key goal no i mean it'd be fucking awesome if they could snatch 100 <laughs> kilograms at seven i'd love to snatch 100 kilograms but actually is that what's important at that stage of life yeah possibly not can they get up the stairs to go to the toilet and then get back off the toilet is that important? Yes, that's important. So having strong legs to get up and down the stairs safely and get up and down off the toilet, that's really important because toilets are often lower than hip height, uh, you know, with that hip crease. Yeah. So that, those are the important things. So I think to answer your question, yes, there becomes a point where you have to be selective with what you choose to do, but you shouldn't stop. 
Anything that stays inanimate gathers dust. Yeah. And, uh, but, it depends on, on, the, on your purpose. What's your aim? What's your goal? For the example, an extreme example of 70-year-old snatching 100 kilos, if he's an Olympic weightlifter, that's great because that's his goal. His goal is to lift weight as heavy as possible. Mm. If his goal is just to be not get out of breath going upstairs, then going walking, doing 10,000 steps a day, that's probably mm. sufficient to achieve that particular goal. Yeah. There was a it was a really good um, advert around Christmas about the the gentleman and it was a health system in in Scandinavia who drags out his kettlebell and starts to do the exercise because when it came to Christmas he wanted to dance and pick up his granddaughter that was really powerful yeah. because actually it was being his purpose was to be able for his granddaughter it was to pick up his granddaughter and put the the star or the angel on top of the christmas tree yeah amazing and do you know what that's pretty epic if you're 80 yeah and you can pick your grandparent your grandchild up and do that um i'll and take that it's actually funny what we were talking about earlier about talking to audiences because I, I i was doing a talk once and i was talking about some irrelevant shit that I'd done that obviously just wasn't resonating with, with this guy. And I could see he wasn't interested and I managed to open him up and it was a smaller group. And I just went over to him and, 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 you know, during, during the talk and I, I didn't say it, but I was basically saying, mate, I can tell this is not interesting for you. Tell me about your fitness. And we got to exactly the same point that what he loved doing was, playing with his children. Yeah. And as soon as I picked up on that, I just went all in. And we started to talk what it looked like. And my whole track of, of, of the talk, and anyone that talks or gives public speaking, gives public speaking, I don't know what I'm saying, gives talks to the public, <laughs> does public speaking. Um, if you go into a talk and believe that you're going to deliver a talk verbatim, you're already absolutely flawed. And this was one of my biggest lessons because it was probably about 10 years ago when I'd, I'd sort of just started out in, in speaking and the, 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 the journey of the talk just totally changed. And we spoke for about 10 minutes, me and this bloke in front of this, the rest of the room, there's probably about 30 people in the room about his desire to always be able to play with his children and back problems that he was having and this insane fear that he lived in daily that his daughter, his eldest daughter was getting older and some days it was too painful for him to pick her up. And obviously that's, that was, I felt like I was in a candy shop. I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think that context and being able to find the identifiable bit is really important. Because so, so for context here, for those that don't know Marcus, Marcus is someone that has competed at CrossFit regionals, has run 30 marathons in 30 days after almost being killed by being hit by a truck without cycling, has run ultra marathons, has done the marathon the stuff. Now, this is someone that is at the top end of peak, you know, um, sporting expression mm. but it doesn't mean 
you can't talk to the mum that's just had a baby uh, and is worried that they're not strong enough to pick them up off the floor from the bassinet. And that's what I always say, Paul. You probably, I think you probably heard it. Like everyone's climbing their own Everest. And it yeah. circles back to what we said about doing things to impress others, like in the nicest possible way. Fuck everyone else for a little while. Yeah. Like, don't. And this is a part of my talk tomorrow as well. It's, a, it's about emotion. There's certain times to have emotion, and there's certain times to be, no, it's just me. I don't have to worry about anyone else. But it's just, and honestly, and, 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 you can tell I, I, I get quite fired up about it. It's society and it's social media and it's the news and it's other absolutely inept human beings that cause this sense of insecurity. I was talking to a lady last week. She goes, I believe when I leave a group of mums, I walk away. I believe that they're talking about me. Yeah. I said, sweetheart, they don't give a fuck about you. Yeah, uh, and that is that is the brutal truth on the whole. And, yeah. but but isn't that one of the big barriers for people going into a sporting environment, especially a class environment? Oh yeah. my God, they're going to look at me. I'm not going to know what I'm doing. Are they going to like the clothes I'm wearing? The reality is they're all so busy trying to breathe and not dying yes. whilst they're doing their own <laughs> thing that actually they're not bothered about what you're doing, and they've all been in that same position. But yes. for that individual that's starting out. It's a really real and scary factor. 100%. And, it's, and it's how do we break that barrier down and say, mm. it's all right, don't worry about it. We've been there. And if I, if I was to rock up in Dubai tomorrow, which would be nice, be slightly warmer, and I was to come to your gym, I would be papping it because I've yeah. seen the awesome work your guys do. And I'm like, oh. Who does he think he is? Some Brit coming across here just because he's spoken to Marcus on a podcast. Does he think he knows what he's doing? You know, mentally, that's the risk. Like this dia well. Dialogue, yeah. You do start a dialogue and it's, there is no, I don't think there's a magic pill for it except self-awareness and awareness of what's going on around us and, and awareness of most Instagram is bullshit. Like most of the stuff that people are posting is not true. And until you, you know, until you, you, you actually understand that, which I think sadly that the, the, the percentage of people that genuinely understand that to be true is becoming less and less. It's an absolute minority. Yeah. You know, people are not, when it comes to health and fitness, people do not look like what they look like on Instagram or on social media People are not doing what they say they're doing. People even cheat on Strava. Like, come on, give me a break. You know what I mean? It, it, it's just like, for what? You know? And, yeah. and we see it. It's insane. We coach, we coach over 300 people online on Training Peaks. And it's an insane social experiment because in Training Peaks, it's, it, it's similar to people might know True Coach or something like that. When you do a workout on Training Peaks, you, you stop your, your, your watch, Sunto, it uploads. And if you've done the workout properly, based on the time and the distance, that workout will go green. If you've done it, if it was an hour workout and you've done 50 minutes or one hour 20, you haven't quite hit it, it will go amber. And if you fail to do the workout, it will be red. So I can have a quick look at someone's Training Peaks on my screen of a week and I can see their compliance. 
we have we've had clients this is absolute truth and it's not it's not anything against confidentiality we've had clients that will literally sit at their desk press go on their watch stop it at an hour so that it sinks green why why though that it's it's part of the difficulty that exactly. i have with people on strava segments or people say oh yeah i've done a workout today i lifted I did a hundred kilo snatch and I'm 70 years old. You know, no, you didn't. And why, why are you pretending that you did? Who are you looking to impress? It's this caring about the world's perception of you. Do you need the, the it's extra a, validation? Are, are you insecure? Do you need people to say you're amazing? A lot of people do, mate. And that's what, that's what I've been, I think, subconsciously on a journey of breaking down for for i don't think it's just the last sort of 10 to 12 years when when we've had the gyms open it's been for a lot longer than that that you know and it comes back to you are enough but when your when your mindset when your subconscious is programmed you just imagine like you guys are pretty down to earth just imagine if you're a massive insta slut these days and you've got kids like you're crying, you're a forty-year-old man or lady, and you're crying on the couch because some twat said something to you on Instagram that you don't like. What do your children think? Yeah. Yeah. So, how are we programming the future? And I, I don't know if this is on or off topic, but it, it's it's reality. It's what's happening. It's what's happening, and it's actually leading to what you guys are trying to break down. That activity is an abnormal thing these days whereas it shouldn't be but it's one of the barriers to it because i can't go to the gym because i don't have the latest lululemon kit you know i i love lululemon guys i love new kit like if you pull me one person to a side and say do you like putting on a brand new fresh pair of socks if you say no you're a fucking liar everyone loves it but is that a barrier to me going to the gym? Not at all. No, no. You know what I mean? Like, if I don't have socks, who cares? If I don't have shoes, it doesn't matter. You know? And it's, it's, uh, it's an interesting one because we, we, we've had that. And I've had a lot of people turn up at my gym and they're like, I forgot my socks or I forgot my shoes. I'll be like, what size are you? Size 11. Okay, take mine. They're like, what are you going to coach the class in? I'm like, bro, I'm coaching. I don't need any shoes. Just wear mine. And if, yeah. you, if you don't want to wear shoes, just don't wear shoes. Like you've had people work out in work shirt. Is that part of people people's excuse? People are very quick to think, oh, I can't do it because of this completely irrelevant reason. Yeah. And mate, I'm a I'm a prick for removing those excuses. I'll remove them straight off. Cool yeah, bullshit. I mean, I'll, I'll I'll remove it. Any excuse and this comes from you know, I've been coaching people for 20 years. You know, I, I've not, I don't know everything. I'm not the world's ultimate coach, but holy shit, I've heard a lot of bullshit excuses. <laughs> and if I didn't have an answer for every single one of them, I'd, I'd, I'd actually be a bit of a prat because I wouldn't have really learned anything. No. I mean, you had a good excuse when you had your accident. You are in intensive care wires in and out all over the place but you still found a way didn't you mm. that finger yeah i did mate yeah and you know it 
but it, I think, you know, the first part of the story, which you failed to share is that when I sort of, what I woke up in intensive care and I had the mindset that a lot of people do have mate. And I've always been very honest about this because I think it's, I think it's really important, but I was very victim mindset and my wife, Holly is, she's incredible, but, and, and it's not a, but, but she's so emotional, so emotional. And when I was in that bed, unable to move this fucking wires everywhere, all this bullshit, I, I was like, why did it happen? Why me? And in this moment, when what I thought I needed was her, her pure Australian emotion, I got the coldest snap you've ever, ever felt where she just said it happened. And talk about, I mean, you could say ego, you could say I was just destroyed. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> like, like someday I'm half dead and I'm going crazy like this. And I was just like, you're amazing. That was the best thing you could have said to me because that's when I then went back to sleep and woke up 20 minutes later, Paul, as you said, and looked down at my body and I was like, well, what can I do? And I moved my hand from palm down to palm up and that was the start. Do you think you would have been more likely to not do that had your wife's reaction been different? Yeah, I think so, mate. But I, I think I was, should we say, far enough on this journey of self-awareness that if it wasn't then in intensive care, it would have been later in intensive care or the next, you know, when I got released from intensive care. I think it would have just been a matter of time, whereas she just hit me like someone hit me with a fucking board. You know, and it was wives are good at that, aren't they? Yeah, they're, they're calling the us best, on our bullshit all the time. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? I'm like, I'm, I'm literally, and I'm obviously told that story over and over. And every time, as you can see, I just get so like amazed and fired up with it because it's just like, you know, so yeah, it, it would have come, Sean. It would have come, but and and I think for I think the easy the thing is, mate, is that we're inherently lazy as human beings. And one of my brand values is simple simplicity. We try and make things as simple and as easy as possible. So the natural thing is this default mindset into what's the easy thing. And the easy thing is to sit there and be a victim. The hard thing is to look down at what you've got. And this left arm hasn't moved because it can't move. And I've got this pipe coming out of the lung and I've got this and that and the other and start to move it like that's really difficult and that's not hu- that's not how we're wired you know it's it's like no one no one looks at at at, at Land's End and John O'Groats and goes fuck it I'll go via Denmark like they go straight up do you know what I mean because yeah. that's the easiest way to get there so yeah it's it's a super interesting scenario 
And mm. I mean, there was hundreds of them in that time. Yeah. But the key takeaway for anybody listening is do what you can. It doesn't have to be complicated. Do what you can and then layer on top of that. Yeah. Go for a walk. Go for a walk and do a little jog and walk. Yeah. yeah so on and, and I so think forth. You're, a, you're a great sort of ambassador for that, Paul, with the way that you train, the way that you train in your garage at home, you know, and people will see it. And, and I love it. But I, I also, some days I'm like, that looks uncomfortable. You know what I mean? I'm like, he's, he's trying to do GHDs on, on a bench with his feet tucked into something and his head hitting the wall. Like, what is this idiot doing? You know, <laughs> but I'm like, it's making it happen. He's, he's, you're removed. There's no excuses. And, you know, a lot of people, and, and this is what, I mean, Paul Warrior must just think you're an absolute champ because as a coach, you write stuff for people and, you, you, people give you a list of equipment and you're right, but you'll still get something that you know that they can use it, create it with that equipment, but they don't have the mindset to go, okay, YouTube, how do I, with what I've got, make this work? But you're like the dream client because you're like, yeah, I can do GHD sit-ups. Watch me, you know? And all you've probably done is just Google homemade GHD, you know, yeah. and, and you've done it. And that's why, you know, it's, it's fascinating to watch your journey, mate, because it's so that it, it removes all of those excuses and, and it looks down and it looks into that shed that you've got and it says, how can I make this work? Yeah, I'm not going to sit here and say it's, every, it's easy. There are some mornings when I go out there and I sit down and think, what the hell am I doing up at this time of the morning? Yeah. I could be tucked up in bed. It's pissing down with rain. I'm cold. I'm a little bit achy from yesterday. I could just go back in and then I'll go, yeah, but if you do that, you'll be really pissed off yourself in an hour's time. Yeah. And you will feel better for doing this. And the part of the reason I put it on Instagram is because it's a little bit of accountability yeah. outside of myself. And I know that Paul has taken the time to write that workout down. And that workout might go out to other people as well. But I know he's thought about how that session is working yeah so actually i feel honor bound for one a better word yeah. to, to do the work because he's taken the time to write that down and that makes me a bit of a dick if i don't then take the time to do it and i might not be the next matt fraser but i will give it my all yeah. and i'll come out and my son might go what are you doing oh i'll come on then i'll, I'll count your last couple of reps and my I'll bring my wife up a cup of tea afterwards. She says, you all right? And I'm like, no. It's <laughs> 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 like, you're mad. I said, yeah, but I love it. And I'll feel better for it in an hour or so of time. But I think you, you just touched on something, mate, that is so incredibly important, is that when you get out there, and we all have it, and it doesn't, you spoke about some of the negative factors, mate. It's cold, it's dark. Like, we'll always find the cold and dark. You know, I woke up this morning, it was too light and it was too humid. Like, do you know what I mean? It's, it's the same. But what you said next was really super important is that you'll start to think, how will I feel in an hour? How will I feel later today? 
and and I, I was actually interviewing a guy for my podcast last week who just ran from Perth to Sydney, 60 Ks a day for 74 days. And he came up with this motto, I'll quit tomorrow. So when he was having a shit moment, it was, I'll get to the end of the day, tomorrow I'll quit. But of course, yeah. you, you just never do. But the default is not to make this rash decision right now in the moment, I won't do this workout today, is to say to yourself, how am I going to feel if I don't do this workout today? Well, Sean, you get some good looks from your uh, neighbours in the street across whilst you're doing it in the back lane, aren't you? Yeah, I do. Yeah. So I, I suppose, quit the gym, enforced quit the gym last March when they closed due to the pandemic and you know quite similar to Paul and I suppose inspired by what Paul's achieved building plyo boxes out of pallets um that was a that was a good one it's been really good but I work out in plain sight of people and they you can tell they just think I'm mad the things I do and it's perfectly normal to me you know, I, I do, I think yesterday, me and Paul did pretty much the same workout. I did it in the rain, but after five minutes in the rain, you're wet. So you're like, you're fine. You just deal with it. You're going to get sweaty anyway. It was actually quite nice and refreshing. And at the end, <laughs> I was lying in the garden. You don't have that issue in the, in the Middle East, I, I take it. <laughs> Running in the rain. <laughs> I was Sometimes lying. it feels like that with the humidity, mate. <laughs> yeah. I was lying in the garden afterwards, just it was raining on me, and I was just looking up at the sky and I could feel each individual raindrop just falling on my face. And it felt great. I was yeah. knackered, I was exhausted, but I felt alive and it was yeah. great. And I think that's that's probably another thing that comes through with with yeah, definitely with a lot of what you talk about, Paul, and, and what we've chatted about so far, these three old men in, in, in the pub is you develop an appreciation for, like if you'd have told me at 18 that I would go to a park near my house when I was 42 years old with a cup of coffee and watch the sunrise, I'd have told you you're fucking mad. <laughs> Literally. Like, do you know what I mean? But you go there and you sit there and you appreciate the bird that tweets, the sun yeah. that comes up, the coffee that's hot. And I'm not massive on, on I know a lot of people and, and it's, it was blowing up before COVID and, it, you know, people have used journaling and what are you most appreciative for today? Write down the three things. I, I'm, I'm not, I can't really get into that because it, it's more, you know, I, I love it for a lot of people and I use it for some clients because a lot of people need to write that down. But I'm sat there and I'm like, wow, just like you said there, Sean, this raindrop that I'm now experiencing that's just dropping on my forehead is so incredible because of what I've just done and because yeah. I'm alive. And Mother Nature has just shared this rain with me. And that's something that, to me, is, is something from amazing, like, it's just this ultimate power of, of Earth that, yeah, when you're younger, you just don't really, 
you just don't really get because, you know, it just, I don't know. It, it's just, it's incredible. It really is. Age does give you some perspective on life, doesn't it, really? Yeah. Thank you for uh, cutting my waffle and, and sum, summing it up quite nicely, Paul. I need to do more, mate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've all been there waffling, and that's a one stage. <laughs> how, long did it, true. how long did it take you, Marcus, to get back on the bike after being hit by the truck? <laughs> mate, I'm a junkie. <laughs> it took me about two weeks. Okay. And I, I knew that I had to get on the bike, mate. So I knew that I had to get in the environment. And <laughs> funny story, I, Holly, so I was in, sorry, it was three weeks. So I was in hospital for about seven or eight days. And then they said, you need to stay at home for a week. And I think after three or four days, I literally, I called an Uber and I went to the gym. And I pulled the stool. We used to have one stool at the old gym and I just pulled it into the middle of the gym. And I sat there, not because I wanted to be seen, but I wanted to be in the middle of all of the energy. And I just soaked it up and I did it every day. I went, I sat there some days for two hours, some days for five minutes because my ribs were so messed up. And then about a week later, I got the turbo trainer out and I put that quite prominently in the gym just so I could be close to everyone. I didn't, I, I used to ride the turbo trainer upstairs a little bit out the way, a little bit just in my own space. But I knew that now wasn't the time for that. Now was the time I needed people and I needed that energy. And I think when you, when, as you guys do, and as you're going to do with this show, you're going to give people an, an extraordinary amount of your energy and knowledge and time. And sometimes it's okay to take back from people, you know, and it's not, no one's keeping tabs on it. It's all good, you know, but I needed their energy back. And I got on the turbo and I remember it because I always sit on the turbo with the bib shorts just around my, my waist, not put the bib on. And my left arm was it was just so uncomfortable to sit on the turbo i was like ah fuck it i'll put the bib shorts on and then i i pulled my left arm up and i sort of intertwined it into the bib shorts so it almost acted like a sling yeah. and i had one hand on the on the bars and i started riding and it was incredibly painful and five minutes later holly walked in uh oh busted <laughs> she's like what the fuck are you doing? I said, I said exactly what I just said to you. I said, I'm a junkie. I said, I need it. I'm a healing. I, I, need, I, I need it. Yeah. yeah. I need it. You know, um, but it, it, it's taken, I didn't think it would take so long as it's taken to feel comfortable on the bike. Um, that took almost two, yeah, two and a half years. Because there was I a, felt. A notable shift in your training because you were cycling a lot, weren't you? Yeah, Pre-accident, yeah. and now you your main body seems to be mainly running with yeah, some long there, cycles. There's there's a reason for that, or there's two reasons for that, really, Paul. One of them is because of my family, and yep. 
I would, I'm incredibly selfish for the most part. I give a lot of my time to people, but I'm also incredibly selfish. And through my crash, I realized how selfish I was being. And it must have been absolutely fucking awful when my mate called Holly and told her to pack a bag. His wife was coming to pick her up and I'd had a crash. Sure. And that's something. And she, she'd never, she'd never stopped me from doing anything. And I felt that when I got back and started cycling again, every time I went out and left her in the morning that she'd be worried. And I thought how horrible that would make her life. You know, it, it, it must be really horrible. I think the thing with, with, with cycling, with road, road cycling, and I used to cycle a lot. I think 190 kilometers is my sort of longest, but 100, yeah. 100 kilometer plus rides were just perfectly normal. Yeah. But they take a long time. <laughs> that, so for, for me, spending seven, eight hours out of the house, away from the children at the weekend... Yeah, it was just something I couldn't justify, and something I didn't want to do because I had something else there that was more important to me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's that's the thing, and and you know, I just family's huge for me, and, and Holly's my world, mm. you know, and and I didn't want to, I didn't want to put her through that, and and the second the second thing, and I still say it to these to this day. I'm scared. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Yeah. I'm really fucking scared because I don't like, I watched, I love cycling. And I was watching the Tour de France yesterday. And, you know, there was, oh, mate. And I was watched carnage. it. Terrible. It was carnage, <laughs> you know? And I watch it and it, it, it's almost like it's cutting straight through my spine. Yep. You know, and I see, I cycle now in groups and I see things happen and I can see crashes before they happen. And I can, and, and this is the, the most beautiful thing about time and healing and talking and, 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 and about my crash is that every time I talk about it, I feel something different and I learn something different and I heal in a different way. But the product of that, is I know so much about my crash now that I can link that to certain situations that I know I don't want to get myself in again. Yeah. So yeah. that's kind of, that, that is, mate, I, I would love nothing more than to have no fear of, of, of riding my bike on the roads up, up, you know, some of the beautiful climbs that I've done in, in, in the Alps, in, in Italy, like I've, I've been incredibly, you know, fortunate to ride in, in some of the most beautiful places in the world. And maybe one day I'll, I'll go back there, but it was, it was also a case of, okay, riding's a bit off for now because of that fear. And I don't want to do that because of my family. And, you know, as, as you mentioned, mate, in 2015, I'd, I'd run marathon de Sable when I was in school, I was a pretty decent runner and so that was, that was probably the next, <laughs> I don't know if, if it's right to say that was the next best endurance sport. I think had the cycling gone to where it was going to go to, 
and 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 I've sort of achieved what I wanted to, which was four ultra distance races in in 2018. I'd have probably actually had enough of cycling by the end of 2018 anyway. And, you know, uh, probably not, but, you know, so it's interesting, but running, running's always been something really quite special to me, mate. And it's always, it's given me something that sometimes it's quite hard to, to describe. I think on a bike, you're, you can't check out as easily as you can when you're running because you probably get killed. Whereas when I'm running, I can run through a desert. It could be 1K, it could be 15K. I'm, I wouldn't know. And I can get into this, what I just feel is a, is a beautiful meditative state, state of flow, whatever you yeah. want to call it. And that really, that really helps me, mate. Like I don't often think I'll just go and clear my mind on the turbo or, or riding outside for half an hour, but I'll, I'll often just go for a 30 minute or a 60 minute run and just come back and just be, I'll just be able to put everything in its place, which is cool. Do you think having had the crash and come back from that has given you greater mental fortitude? So when you're stuck and you feel like you're in the bin on a long run, you can keep going. And actually everybody has those moments in life, maybe not to the extreme of, you know, being in intensive care, but things that they can draw on to help push through those difficult moments when you're like, oh, I'm just going to, I'm going to stop yeah. and I'm going to walk home. You know, do, do you think that's helped? Mate, life, life is almost a collection of experiences, isn't it? You know, and we can use those experiences either for us or against us or not at all. There, there, are, there aren't really many other choices. So there's a lot of the experiences that I had and the lessons I've been able to draw from them in my crash that I am able to use in those situations. But I think in my job, if you could call it that, there are also as many of those experiences and people that I deal with that help me in those times. So I think it's, I think it's a culmination. Like, you know, I, I often think mate, like, like I went basically not without oxygen, otherwise I'd have, I'd have died. But when you have a lung hemothorax in simple terms, in, in the non-doctorate terms, and I know it's probably not a fair way to describe it. And you might call me out on this, Paul, but when your lung collapses or explodes, like it makes breathing quite bloody challenging you know so when you're in a situation where you think you're out of breath or you think you're done yeah I just think back to to that time on the road and mate I don't think I can do anything and I don't want to have to test my shit out but <laughs> I'm sort of like yeah you can get through this but it's more I always say this and this is a another pillar of the talk tomorrow of how my mind works is that my mind is quite systematic. So we build systems to deal with situations. And some situations I might not have been in before. So I have a system called the Ultra Mindset, which I've spoken about all around the world to people. Some might have used it, some might not have, to deal with those situations. So that, that's really helpful to have 
systems in place and actually to to talk about things either with yourself with your with your notebook or or with your mentors like let's look at we're going to climb everest let's look at what could go wrong and what could go right and i think one of the important things or one thing that's often forgotten by people is we forget to prepare for if things go right how we might feel which is it sounds quite weird and and like why would you do that well because you need to know how to behave in that situation as well so i think it a lot of it goes back to what i pulled out from what you're saying about what happens when you go out to to the shed each morning mate and on those dark days it's an insane ability that you have that everyone should try and develop of just pausing and thinking pretty rationally or or not depending on on what situation you're in and being able to ask yourself questions and come up with the right answers based on life experiences that you've had that will help to propel you forward that was a long answer to that question that's right i think it it echoes things that we talked about earlier about awareness and just being mm. self-aware, aware of you, what's good for you, what's bad for you, how it impacts the world around you, particularly the people that you love most, and doing things that benefit that environment yeah. and being aware of it, thinking a bit yeah. harder, having conversations. People have forgotten how to have a conversation. People talk past each other all the time, just sitting at swimming lessons watching watching my son swimming two parents sitting along in the corridor just talking past each other i did this oh yes i did that i'm going there on holiday oh yes i'm going there on holiday the art of conversations being lost yeah yeah and it it's rooted in what in what you said mate and we, we should probably elaborate a little bit more that everything you you you, you summed it up really well sean is that everything we're speaking about is actually all rooted in self-awareness, which actually for a lot of time is fucking brutal because mm. you need someone to turn around to you and say, Sean, you're being a dick. Yep. That's the only way that you, you become aware of it. Like, because we don't purposely, all right, there's a few really messed up people, but we don't purposely do things like to be a dick like you don't wake up on tomorrow morning monday morning i'm gonna be a dick today to everyone i, I mean some people do but you know what i mean so yeah you, and you need to but it's also difficult i think and i'm sure you guys might have thoughts on it like it's also difficult to have conversations with certain people you need to trust that person implicitly or have a really good bond to really take on sometimes what they're saying like sometimes my cleaner will tell me things at the gym and and i'll be like yeah you you nailed that but that's because i'm i, I try to be quite open in situations but some for a lot of people it's difficult to take negative feedback to build your self-awareness that's one of the biggest challenges but it's all it's all self-awareness 
just got a cool catch on that. It's just feedback. It's only negative if you choose to make it negative. Is it? Well, you get to learn from <laughs> it, don't you? So I, I think says, there's a certain... I, I agree. I know where you're coming from, mate. I know where you're coming from. But if I turn around to 10 people and sort of call them out, and I mean... We, us three can say you're being a dick, but sometimes might have to be a little bit more politically correct. But if you said to 10 people, you're being a dick, like a lot of people would take that negatively because actually, and, and you're not wrong. I'm not saying that you're wrong, mate. I agree exactly where you're coming from, but you're calling out a poor, a lack of self-awareness on their part or a poor negative, uh, poor personality trait on their part. So, and we, we are quite defensive as humans because we didn't wake up to be a dick you know and this is like the most interesting and most simple part of this whole show about being a dick but you know what i mean we we didn't wake up so we think we're doing the right thing so although yes when you get negative feedback actually is it negative no it's constructive because i want to make you a better human being i don't change your squat position to make you worse although you're in a bad squat position I don't tell you not to speak to someone like that to make you worse, although you're speaking to them badly. So I, I, I do get what you're saying, mate. But I, I think sometimes, yes, if you take it as negative, then there's a negative it's connotation negative, yeah. to it. Yeah. But actually, you're calling that person out because they are wrong. And wrong by its very default is being negative in a way. But is that not anyway. what we're trying to do here, which is to call people out for not for choosing to be inactive or choosing not to improve their health i think it's very much a skill to be able to do it in the right way to the right person in a way that they understand and can harness and take action on saying you're fat stop eating that pie will work for some people but for a lot of people that won't work you need to present it to them in a different way and you said this earlier, Marcus, the, the way you speak to different people affects whether they take it on board or choose to take action. Yeah. And, and the thing, you know, it, it's interesting. You're, you're exactly right, Sean. And one of the experiments that I do, or one of the things that I do, the bits of advice I give to people is go to your bathroom Take all of your clothes off down to your underpants and have a look in the mirror and tell yourself what you see. And then if you want to come back and tell me, because I don't think there's a, and and especially when I say it to some female potential clients, I get lots of like, but it's like, okay, I can tell you your, and this is why it, it fits in with what you're saying, Sean. I can tell you in a number of different ways, you're fat, you're this, you're that. But a lot of it, go and look at that person. Go and look at yourself in the mirror, in your purest, get fully naked, in your purest form of the way that you entered this world. Look into that mirror and tell yourself what you see. And then we can make some decisions about what you want to do. And that's quite, it's quite weird, but it's, it's, it's quite powerful. And 
Another tool that's, that's, that's powerful and that will, I'm sure, help a lot of people to, to normalize activity and to live optimally is to, to write your own obituary. Yeah. Now, like, I had, had a chat with a, with, with a young girl a couple of weeks ago. She said, can I have some of your time? I said, sure. She said, what should I do to prepare? I sent a load of questions and I said, write your own epitaph. She's like, what? Yeah. I was like, yeah. You know? Then now we're, now we're heavy. Now we're rolling in the deep, as Adele would say. You know? Yeah. We're really... Yeah, well, death will change you if you don't change yourself. Yeah, Absolutely. it will. And, you know, it, it's, it's, and I mean, this is, it's kind of, we've taken quite a weird turn, but it, death is very powerful because life yeah. is very powerful and death is part of life, you know? And, and it really, people, especially now, because we're like, you know, live in the moment. And I wrote an article this afternoon about, you know, stoic mindset, live, control, now, all good. But it's temporary and everything's temporary. And It really is. Yeah, and too, too many times we don't even realize it's temporary. That's the problem. And yeah. we're too frightened to talk about death because it gets swept under the carpet, certainly in, in English culture. I'm not sure, mm. sure what it's like in the Emirati. But actually... Yeah, it's coming whether we like it or not. And yeah. why is it we leave it until big moments, a family friend's died or someone's close to to suddenly go, oh, I need to do something about this. And the shock lasts for a little while, but it doesn't continue. And it's how we kind of get that momentum and keep it going to help people move forward. Yeah, it's... I mean, it's, it's, it's brutal and I, but it's, it goes back and I think we've all three said it during this sort of recording, tough conversations, you know, who wants to sit down? We're 43. My parents are 70, actually got it wrong the other day. I posted on my Instagram that mom's 75 and she's like, I'm 76 now. <laughs> I'm like, sorry, mom. <laughs> but who wants to sit down with their 76-year-old mother and do two things? One, ask uncomfortable questions about childhood, things that you guys have been asking me. Why do you think I'm like this? What did you do to me as a child? Like savage, yeah. you know, but why not? Because there'll become a point where you might not be able to do that. And secondly, okay, mum, you're 76. You've, mom's pretty got it together. I, I think that if a 76-year-old can message me back on Instagram, can send me a GIF every freaking morning telling me, like, I think she's got it together. Like, I think she's pretty cool. But there might come a point in the next five or 10 years where she might start to lose it. And why can't I have a conversation with her about how she wants to live out the rest of her days? What does she perceive as quality of life what how does she want to be treated what does she want me to do for her as her son it's the, the quality of life thing 
go go back to talking about Mohammed and yeah the millions of other people exactly the same they don't have a quality of life so it's it's the same thing it's just a slightly different situation but it, it's difficult because you and I might think they don't have a quality of life but that that again the self awareness when you're in the middle of it do you realize and this is a quality of life. I can afford to go and have three Burger Kings. I'm, yeah. I'm winning at life here because I've got that affluence to go and do it. This is success. Whereas for someone else, success is saying, right, I'm going to strap on a pair of trainers and I'm just going to run 6K because I can. That's success. Mm. And it's that's the hard thing, isn't it? You know, For some people during lockdown – it was a real treat to take their children to McDonald's. It's not something they do every week or every month, but it was a treat for the kids. And actually the kids don't know any different. That's, that's great. They get to have a happy meal and a, and a toy and it's an event. And it's just trying to identify what quality of life is and, and what, what it could be and how you reframe that point of reference. Agreed. And there's a simple exercise that people need to do but fail to do because it's hard. And the other thing, except the, the epitaph and, and, and the questions that I sent to that young girl that I spoke about, was an article that I wrote a few years back. And it's, it's simply entitled, Who Are You and Why Are You Here? And yeah. I asked her, as I do, and that, that's my sort of, if I'm going to have a consult with someone, there's no point in you coming into my office and sitting down and saying, right, there's a blank piece of paper. Tell me what's up. Like it's a waste of our, both of our time. They have to do homework. And if they're not willing to do the homework, they don't get to sit in the office. But if they willing to do the homework, I'll give you all the time in the world. And I always ask them, how was it? And every single person says really hard. I'm like, yeah, good. I said, the objective of this meeting is that we can align on it or I can help you to align on it and hopefully you can go out and live it. But actually to do the exercise of who am I? Who, who really am I? Like what's my vision? Why am, and why am I here? Like what's my vision and values? That's all we're talking about here. But it's insane that in the corporate world, you know, you walk into any company, you go onto any website. If it's not on the homepage, it'll be on one of the tabs at the top. Yeah, what we stand for, vision and values. We want to, like, look at my company. I want to make people better at life. I've got six values, honesty, hard work, blah, 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 blah. Bang. And it's, it's on the wall as you walk into my gym. We can do it for something that we've invented. Why can't we do it for ourselves? You know? And until you do that, then a lot of things actually won't have that much meaning because it's all tied. Someone will listen to this show today. And because what you just said, Paul, about going for a 6K run, because I can, it will resonate with them. They'll go and do it. But that's because you've inspired that thought for them. And what you've done is incredible. But how long will it last? Mm-hmm. It, you only know about going out to your garage because you know who you are and you know why you're here. True. You, you go there every morning because you fucking know. And that's, what, that's why we get on. Never met each other. 
but that's why we get on because we understand. Yeah. You know, it's, it's wild. And that's the, 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 the best and worst thing about conversations like this and about podcasts is that they, people will take things and they'll go and do them. They'll take the easier things. A lot of people who will listen to this show and go and write their own epitaph. That's my challenge to you. I might. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> challenge accepted. And then post it on social media. <laughs> well, it doesn't happen otherwise, does it? Exactly. <laughs> I'll do it just for me. And that's good too. Yeah. It seems like a really good point to kind of say, thank you for taking some time out with us and, and having a conversation with us. No, it's, mate, you know more than anyone. I love this shit. It's, yes, you do. We could, we, could, we could do a Rogan on this one. <laughs> I was just thinking that. It popped into my head before. <laughs> I, need, I need to go get some water and some more comfort, some food and then strap back in because we're here we for a, a long commercial time. commercial break. Yeah. No, guys, honestly, it's, it's, it's very kind. And, and I think one thing that's, one thing that's absolutely like why we've been able to have this conversation is because you have such open mindset and you've asked great questions and what you've started to do is for the right reason. And if you get, there's an interesting stat for you. If you get past 20 shows, you're in the top 1% of podcasters in the world. So please. That will happen. That will happen. And I'm sure it will. It's, that's not uh, an incentive for you, mate. I'm sure <laughs> you'll, uh, you'll do it. But the re I think you, you guys will be super successful because you have, you know, free-flowing, frank conversations and, and neither of you are scared about asking some good questions, which a lot of people are because they care too much about what others think, but no one gives a fuck. Touche. No. Touche. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, thank you very much. Thank you. Brilliant. And honestly, all the best. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Marcus. Thanks.